he says this. He said, the problem is not that we set our goals too high and we miss them. The problem is we set them too low and we hit them. Welcome to Learn or Be Learned. We either learn from others or others learn from us. The former is able to help us become a better, faster you. Follow me weekly as I dig up stories like a true anthropologist would on one of the three series called Guest Conversations, Book Applications, or My Small Talk Explorations. I'm your host, Shiva Danshaker, and let's talk. All right, so I'm here with Robert Riopel. That took me a couple tries to get, but we got it. And Robert, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Absolutely, Shiva. I'm so happy to be here. You know, you're in Texas. I'm in Alberta, so it's like we're from the same place. We got oil, <laughs> we got cows, we got horses, we got crops. So you know, already I see a connection there. And you'll understand this being from Texas a little bit more. I grew up in a very kind of closed-minded community. It was, here's the box. Think about the box, stay in the box, don't question mm-hmm. the box. And that, so things like I was taught as an example, when it comes to work, number one goal of work is support your family. Whether you like what you do or not, if it's secure and pays you good income, then you do it, whether you like it or not. And so that's kind of how I entered into work at a young age. Now, by the time I'm 21, I've worked for three different companies. And my mind's going, I'm working hard. I'm actually staying loyal. How is it I keep getting laid off, downsized, and that? And here in Alberta, like Texas, we have oil. And if oil prices are high, our economy does great. Mm-hmm. If oil prices are low, our economy sucks, plain and simple. And in 1989, when I was laid off from that third company, we were in the middle of an oil bust. So there was no real jobs. And I you know, did what I was taught, put the shirt, the suit, the tie on, and I went and looked for that real job. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find one. I'm still a newlywed, so I want to take care of my family. So I decided to do something until I find a real job. And I start delivering pizzas for a little company called Domino's Pizza. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what did you have for dinner last night, right? <laughs> and I start delivering pizzas. And because of my work ethic, I end up becoming a manager of a store. And my wife becomes my assistant manager. And we start doing what? Yeah, that's right. We start working. We start working open to close seven days a week. And now I don't know how much you know about Domino's Pizza, Shiva, but when it comes to a franchise, you can't just buy a Domino's Pizza franchise. You actually have to qualify to become a franchisee by successfully managing a store for at least a year, meeting a bunch of criteria, and then they give you the right to be a franchisee, but you still have to buy or build a store. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't even have any money to think of doing that. But also we got the news that my franchisee decided he no longer wanted to be in Domino's. And he was going to sell the two stores that he owned. And my mind went to automatically, well, we better start contacting other franchisees in the city, see who needs a manager. We need new jobs. Mm-hmm. And my wife was like, why would we do that? Why don't we just buy the store? And I looked at her. I'm like, because we don't have any money. <laughs> That's why we do that. And the cool thing is, is my wife, you know, we, we met when we were 13 started dating when we were 16, got married when we were 19, and we just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. And oh, Shiva, wow. don't do any of the math. Don't do the math of how it lies. And so she's, I, our, our, kind of one of our jokes in our, our life is I was very innocent 
until I met my wife. And mm-hmm. she corrupted me in such good ways mm-hmm. because she's the one that started saying, no, that may be the box, but let's think outside the box. You know, I love the saying that the instructions on how to get out of the box are on the outside of the box. And so that's, she was the person that starts thinking that way. And so when she's saying we should buy the store and I'm like, there's no way we can do it. She said, well, let's learn. And over the next few months, we made a lot of mistakes Mm-hmm. or what I now call feedback loops, <laughs> because uh, nothing's a failure because you can learn from it. Mm-hmm. You're getting feedback of what's not working. I love the title, Learn or Be Learned, because this applies so much into my life. Because every time we'd hit a learning curve and we'd get shut down, I'd want to quit. And my wife would be, no, we're going, what did we learn? Let's move forward. And it was about four months into this journey, we finally had the confidence we knew what to say and what not to say. And we were able to go to our bank and we ended up not buying the store we were working in. We actually got the bank to give us 100% financing to buy both of the stores. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we became franchisees and we're like, we've now been made. We're entrepreneurs. But we knew how to run a store. We didn't necessarily know how to run a business. And I'll t- like as an example, we didn't think we could afford an accountant. Mm-hmm. Today, I don't start a business without my accounting team being on board mm-hmm. because for the first two years, here was my philosophy. There's money in the bank, so we must be doing okay. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we finally got caught up on accounting and realized just how bad things were, it scared the crap out of us. And we got good accounts, good bookkeepers, and we started turning things around and we started making pretty good money. Now, I kind of nod my head at that because back then, for me, it was good money. Mm-hmm. But our habits, and Shiva, I don't know if you've ever met someone that's done this. I'm probably the first person. But my wife and I started spending more money than we were earning. Oh, no. You, you, yeah, you've probably known no one that's ever done oh, that. Oh, nobody. Right? Nobody does that. <laughs> and by the time we were franchisees for eight years, we we're now over $150,000 in debt and going down quickly. And that's when we were introduced to personal development. And it changed our life. Mm -hmm. We went into a three-day weekend and we learned about why we were in debt, where all of our beliefs came from, our habits. We learned to take ownership of that debt, not play the victim, not it was this because of this, it was because of that bad investment, this person didn't do it right. We took ownership. And then third, we learned some specific skills to be able to get out of debt. And then we did something that unfortunately most people don't do. You know, in North America, and I can only give you the statistic in North America, it is a little higher in other countries, but in North America, research shows that only 3% of people on average will actually utilize new knowledge that they've learned. That's it. The rest would have walked, you know, they walk out of from a weekend and go, well, that was nice. I'm ready for my life to change. Yeah. Okay. So what actions are you taking? Oh, I got to take action. No, that was a good weekend. I had a good time. You know, it's the hardest part. It's the hardest part. It is. It is because people are creatures of habit. And so my wife and I, because we are such, you know, stressed out because of debt, we said, we've got no choice. What actions are we going to take? What are we going to put in place? And we started putting actions into place and making decisions that maybe we didn't enjoy at the beginning. But because of those decisions, we were able to go from being over $150,000 in debt to actually being retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32 Mm -hmm. and our minds went, wow, that worked. (laughs) 
if this information gave us that result, what would more learning do? Mm-hmm. Again, back to your title, learn or be learned. We had been learned a lot through our life. So we decided to flip it over and say, okay, we're going to learn. Mm-hmm. And for the next two and a half years, we dove in and became students of every single master we could find. Because I'm a big believer also, Shiva, that don't just learn one way from one person. Learn from as many people as you can. Take the nuggets of gold or what I call clues from them that fit your life. And while we were doing this, I found my passion. My passion was to train because I believed if I could even help one person, one person do what my wife and I have been able to do, go from deep in debt to financially free, it'd make it all worthwhile. And then for the last 18 and a half years from when I became a trainer, I've been blessed to now travel around the world several times and personally train over half a million students around the world on in anywhere from 100 students at a time to 6,000 students at a time in three to five day very intensive trainings where I'm on stage up to 12 hours a day living my passion. And so that's kind of the journey I've gone through so Mm -hmm. far in my life. No, I love that. I love the idea of, you know, how to like some skill sets, some differences, and like you learned some knowledge on what to do, you know, how to do it, and then took action. And and I love that. And you talk about how you went from debt and how you learned these things and then implemented them, and it made a huge difference. What does it actually mean to be financially free? Because you said you were f- financially free at 32, correct? Yes, correct. So, so that's, you know, you, you know, that's like, that's, that's amazing goal, right? Because once you're financially free, from my understanding, that means you don't have the burden of financial weight weighing you down from your options, your choices, your opportunities, and you now have the freedom to pursue interests and other things you want, right? Oh, man. And you were you were much closer on that than most people oh, when okay. they think about what financial freedom is. Okay. And congratulations on that because most people go, oh, you went from $150,000 in debt to debt-free and wealthy in nine months. And it's like, no, that's not what financial freedom is. So in financial freedom, you're going to have expenses, mm-hmm. whatever your day-to-day, month-to-month expenses are. And there's something called passive income. And for those of your listeners that don't know what passive income is, it's simply money working for you or business working for you, mm-hmm. where you can actually have an investment. Anything that's paying you interest or paying you um, a consistent, some kind of payback, that can become passive. Now, passive doesn't mean you never have to work on it. You never touch it. You oversee it. You make sure that you're taking responsibility for your investments and stuff. But we didn't know what passive income was. Mm-hmm. But we sure knew what having expenses was. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the definition of passive income or of sorry, of financial freedom is actually when you have enough passive income that it's actually enough to pay off your existing debt, your, your payments every single month. As long as when you have more passive income than you do when your income is greater than your monthly expenses, you're now financially free. So my wife and I, because we had a lot of expenses, one of the reasons we got into debt as we got more successful, we had all the toys. One of our stores was in a lake community, so we owned a boat. Mm-hmm. Hey, we live on the lake, we should have a boat. Mm-hmm. Now, the stupid thing, Shiva, is our busy season in our Domino's Pizza was boating season. So our boat sat pretty in the mm-hmm. driveway, looking nice, 
with all the expenses, mm-hmm. but we never got to actually use it because we were always in the store working. You know, so, so yeah. we had all these toys, so we had all these expenses, and we didn't know what passive income was, so we didn't have any. So there's no way we could be financially free. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we decided to implement is um, one of my mentors had said, rich people think long term, while poor people think short term or instant gratification. And he said, if you want to be financially free, you've got to be willing to look at your instant gratification, your expenses, and downsize or simplify your life. Because the greater you can bring down your expenses, the easier it is for the passive income to then grow over it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so my wife and I sat down and said, okay, what don't we need right now that if we were to get rid of it, it would bring our monthly expenses down? And one was an easy answer, the boat. Get rid of the boat. So we sold it. And what's interesting, we learned too that it was actually cheaper to go rent a boat when we want to use one and get a new boat and the type of boat we needed for the situation than to own and, and operate and maintain our own boat. So we sold the boat. We brought our expenses down. Because we're successful, we have two vehicles. Because that's what successful people do. And with all the expenses. But we were always working together in the same location, only driving one vehicle. So why did we need two? So we sold one of the vehicles. Mm-hmm. And we looked hard at all of our expenses and we dramatically, dramatically simplified our life. It sounds like you got rid of a lot of liabilities, right? Like assets versus liabilities. Correct. Mm -hmm. And and we didn't understand all that back then. So as we brought down the monthly expenses and got rid of those liabilities, at the same time, we were learning about passive incomes. And we were able to find two passive incomes that quite quickly all of a sudden started rising. And at the nine-month mark, the two surpassed. Now, the cool thing is we were instantly now financially free at the age of 32, meaning if we didn't want to work, we didn't have to because at least the income coming in every month from our passive income was enough to pay for our expenses. So we still had debt. So don't think we got rid of our debt. We still had debt, but we had enough passive income to service everything. Mm -hmm. And what that did, though, what we didn't realize was a beautiful side benefit. And here's why I'm glad you put your definition into it because you're so close is most people work 40, 50, 60 or more hours per week just to earn a living. Now, let me ask you this question, Chibet. You're pretty young still. Mm-hmm. But if you had an extra 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week freed up, what could you do? What would you love to do with that time? I could do so much. I like you know, like this podcast, I like personal development. So I would probably just, you know, read books, try new skills, martial arts, things like that, you know, things for fun. See, that's the part that not having the financial stress, it removed that stress of having to earn a living. So now we could say, what do we really want to do? And so we started learning more. We started diving in. We started volunteering. We started just really working on us. But we also committed We committed to take 10 of those hours per week that we just gained because now we're not working 60 or more hours a week in the store. We freed all that time. We now have time freedom. We're not wealthy. We're barely getting by, but we don't have to work. Mm -hmm. So we took that time freedom and we said, let's take 10 hours, 10 hours that we just gained of that week. And let's focus now on creating wealth. And I'm a big believer in universal principles. And there's a universal principle that says where attention goes energy flows and results show. 
or a simpler way of saying is what you focus on expands. So now that we're focusing 10 hours a week on creating wealth, the creating the wealth came so much easier. Mm -hmm. So what I encourage everyone, including your listeners, your viewers, is don't go for wealth first. Get financial freedom first. So you free up all that time. So now you have the time to create the wealth and do what you love at the same time. Does that make sense? Okay. So, you know, for people that are in their 20s, their 30s, that are listening to this, you're saying go for financial freedom, which you said was passive income surpassing your expenses. So would you suggest or advise people to search side hustles or passive incomes as early as they can? Like, what is essential? Without a doubt. Uh Without a doubt. The younger, the better. Because, look, I'm going to give away the age. I'm 52. (laughs) And I just don't have the energy I did at 20. Mm -hmm. I don't. But I still have more energy than most people in their 20s because I'm living my passion. Mm -hmm. I'm living what I love to do. So what I recommend is, and it's one of my mentors, I love what he said. He said, you earn a living from nine to five. Now, I know there's no real time jobs much anymore, but picture the old school. You earn a living from nine to five, but you create your life from five to nine. Meaning when you come home from work, what are you doing in those next few hours? Do you plop down in front of the computer or in front of the TV and and go mindless, go to social media and just chill? Mm -hmm. Or are you willing to do a little bit extra to learn about passive income? I I recommend all um, of my students, I say, if you want to create financial freedom, don't do an all or nothing. Start part-time. So I actually recommend start a new part-time business. And this part-time business is only going to be 30 minutes a day, five days a week. That's it. Two and a half hours a week. So you come home from work, even if you're tired, take an extra 30 minutes. And in this 30 minutes a day, either learn about passive incomes. So that could be investment, stock market, learn how to do crypto, whatever it is. Or learn about passive business incomes. So there's businesses that you can create or buy that are already creating a passive income. So you can invest in those. And mm-hmm. there's some passive businesses that you can actually start with no money, no money show. Uh, it takes a little bit of time, mm-hmm. but no money to start. So you learn, 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 learn. But the second thing you can do with that time and this one might shock some of your, your listeners. Actually invest in something. <laughs> Don't just learn. <laughs> invest. Yeah. And people go, well, Robert, what do I learn about first? And my answer is something you're passionate about. If you're passionate about real estate, start learning about real estate. If you're passionate about crypto, learn about that. Stock market, learn about that. Um, an amazing gentleman by name Phil Town, two-time uh, New York Times bestselling author. He learned how to do stock market investing right from, um, oh, sure, his name just went out of my head. Oh, Bill Gates' friend. Uh, Warren Buffett. Thank you, Warren Buffett. Yeah. <laughs> he learned his style of investing, value investing, and he he's created millions and millions and millions. And when he gives advice to his students that he teaches how to invest, he says, start with $1,000. Just actually get in the market as you're learning. Because worst case scenario, you lose the $1,000. So you've learned something, you get, you create another thousand and go at it again. You've got to get in the game. 
Most people, they educate themselves and they learn and they learn and they learn and they learn and they learn, but they never freaking take action. And guess what? They get learned mm-hmm. because their learning doesn't take them anywhere unless they put it into action. Yeah. So the second thing you can actually do at that time is actually make some investments. And then the third thing you can do at that time, another option is either purchase or create passive business incomes with that time. So again, it's taking that action. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to promise you and I'm going to promise your um, audience, if you do this new part-time business, 30 minutes a day, my wife and I woke up at 30 minutes earlier every day just to do this. But it's what changed her life. Because now we're po- putting the focus on actually doing that part-time business, which created our financial freedom. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how you get started. And the younger you start, the better. I've taught 10-year-olds how to do this. And what's cool is they do it better than the adults. <laughs> now, do you know why that is, Shiva? Uh, they don't have emotional attachment. That part of it, and they follow the system. They don't try and reinvent it. Mm-hmm. They don't try and go, well, that's too easy. I'll do it my way. And then they mess it up because they make it too complicated. Mm-hmm. So, yes, start young. Yeah. So, was your book recent, right? You just wrote a book? Well, the Success Left a Clue, mm-hmm. I actually released in 2017. Okay. And I'm currently writing my second book right now, which will come out probably by the end of the year or beginning of next year. Oh, exciting. When did, yeah, you, when did you start that? During uh, COVID? Yes. Okay. Yep. And, and actually, doing this um, podcast interview mm-hmm. is actually, I'm technically writing my book right now. Oh, really? See, doing the interview, when I, on the interviews, I talk about the parts of my new book, I'm reformulating in my mind. I'm checking in with myself. Is that sound like what I want to put in the book? Is it right? Do I need to make an adjustment? Mm-hmm. And by saying it over and over and over again, I'm actually writing the book right now. Mm-hmm. And every interview I get, my assistants can take a look at it, pull the nuggets out of it. Mm-hmm. So I've got the content already being created. That's great. I like that a lot because it's you're maximizing your time and, and efficiently working. And I, that's awesome. That's awesome. And okay, so you have a book that you've already published 2017 called Success Left a Clue. Correct. And I love that because... I saw a quote somewhere a while back that was like, you know, success leaves clues. And it's it's very yes. true. Um, although people's roadmaps are always different, whether it's slightly different, very different, everyone has a journey that's very, you know, that varies person to person. That's why you can't just only take advice and not apply it to how your situations go. But success exactly. does leave clues. and And I love that. And I wanted to ask, you had something called six steps to creating the life of your dreams is that from your previous book that is okay and is is one of the steps the passive income you were talking about what what are some of these steps well the steps the first step is to dream but not to dream dream big and again because you're fairly young how old are you if you don't mind me asking i'm 22 because I'm loving that you're actually doing a podcast you're actually taking action like this at this age Congratulations. Like, Thank you. That is inspiring to me. That's inspiring. And so the, when we're children, and I'm going to again turn it back to you, Shiva. When you were a child, did you ever dream? Yeah, all the time. And what was possible for you? Mm-hmm. Anything is possible, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so as kids, we dream and we have big dreams and everything's possible. But then as we start to get older, society comes in 
to tell us, be realistic. Uh, maybe you don't have the right education to do that, mm -hmm. or you weren't born into the right family to do that. Whatever it is, we're, um, you can't be an artist. Haven't you ever heard of starving artists? They never make any money. Very few of them ever do. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things come in that start knocking our dreams down. And by the time we become 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years of age or older, also our dreams are now from way out big to, oh, I've got to be responsible. Mm -hmm. I've got to be realistic. Play it safe. Look at how they, yeah, play it safe. And so I, one of my friends and a mentor, Les Brown, he says this. He said, the problem is not that we set our goals too high and we miss them. The problem is we set them too low and we hit them. You see, that gets us playing mediocre. Mm -hmm. And so when I say dream big, I want you to dream big. Don't try and figure out how it's going to happen, why it will happen, how long it's going to take, what you need to do. No, just if you could dream, what would you love to have in your life? This is why I love vision boards. So in my book, I actually wrote it as a workbook. You don't just read it and then put it on the shelf and make it shelf help. You actually, good, you got my joke. <laughs> I was watching, I was watching to see if you get my warp sense. Yeah. <laughs> you actually have to, I put action steps in there and I'll explain why in a moment. So step number one, dream big. Step number two, find a mentor or someone to model. Because look, unless you're, you know, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, no matter what it is you want to accomplish, I guarantee someone's probably done it before you. Yeah. So find out how they did it, find out what their system was, and do what they did. Mm -hmm. Now, step two comes in a second part, though. See, while you're looking for a mentor or someone to model, and you've got to get creative sometimes, it doesn't mean that they, you have to personally mentor from someone, because maybe they're, some of the greatest mentors are passed on. Mm -hmm. Find out if they wrote books. Go into their, uh, and I love that you love researching history and that, you know, you'd love to dig in deep to that because this is where I love biographies. Mm -hmm. I love to read and watch biographies because I don't want to just see the end result. I want to know the story. I want to know the history. I want to be that excavator and digging and brushing off and looking for the clues to see how they got to where they are, right? I want to yeah. be that archaeologist. And so... When you're being um, looking for a mentor or someone to model, at the same time, I also want you asking yourself, who could I be a mentor to? Who could I actually model for? And of course, one of the biggest resistances that come up, especially people that are younger, is like, I haven't accomplished anything yet. There's no way I can mentor anybody. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I, I'll disagree with you because if we look back at your life, there's been something in your life that you've overcome or you've struggled with that you've been able to get through that now from that experience, you can help other people maybe get through them. You could be the mentor for them. You've had successes in your life. So you can teach someone how you got that success. And the reason you start right away is it's not just about taking, taking, taking. It's about how can I contribute at the same time? The world is waiting. Every single one of us is a gift and we have a gift to give. And the question is whether we're living the gift or not. And there's people waiting for you to show up with your gift. Mm -hmm. It may not be, you know, hundreds of thousands of people like I've tapped into living my gift. It might even just be one person. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That person may be the person that's sitting in your seat wiggling your bum right now. <laughs> even if it means mentoring yourself on how to take one more step. So it's important that you also ask the question that way. Step number three is the taking action. This is why I wrote my book as a workbook. 
because the biggest difference between successful people and non-successful people is non-successful people do not take action or they take very little action. Mm-hmm. And we're creatures of habit. So you can have the greatest dreams in the world. You can have the greatest mentors in the world. But if you're not taking action, you're going nowhere. I love the saying that says one step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it. Right? Yeah. And how many special educated people, they get para, um, analysis paralysis. Yeah. They think, 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 but they never take action. Right? Then the fourth step, you can have the greatest dreams. You can have the greatest mentors of You can even take the greatest actions. But the reason most people end up not sustaining success or they sabotage unconsciously themselves is they don't do step number four, which is celebrate your successes. Celebrate. This is why every day when I wake up, I have my success journal that I write in. At least five successes from the day before. And over the years, it's actually morphed into it's a success or gratitude journal. Because now I write down also who and what am I grateful for in my life. Mm-hmm. See, when I start my day off looking at what's going right in my life, that sets me for a much better day than waking up and thinking about all the terrible things that maybe aren't going. Mm-hmm. It comes back to, again, what you focus on expands. So have that success journal. Step number five, believe in yourself. Probably one of the biggest afflictions that I've noticed that people suffer from is low self-esteem, self-doubt. And I'm pointing at myself right now. I teach what I need the most. These six steps are what help me be who I am today. Mm-hmm. And even today, I still go through self-doubt. And people are like, are you kidding? You travel around the world. You impact life. How do you go through self-doubt? Mm-hmm. I'm no different than anybody else. I just may have less hair than most people. <laughs> but I still have, oh, good, you're still getting my jokes. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> and that's, you know, so you have, have belief in yourself. And, and before I give the sixth step, I want to really put a kind of a caveat in here. Don't let the simplicity of this system fool you. See, in the book, I could have wrote it down and made it sound like some complex system that needs this, needs this. You have to do this and get this ready and do that right. And then no one would have done it. But by keeping it simple, the people who do it, they find success. Although I know some people go, that's too simple, and they won't do it because they think it's too simple. Mm-hmm. Don't believe me when I say don't let the simplicity fool you. You do it and watch what you can do. Because step number six is simply repeat the first five steps. <laughs> and here's why this is important. And for the people that are just listening, my hand's up in front of me right now, and I'm about to go in a circle. When you dream big, then you find mentors and people to model. You take action. You celebrate your success, which allows you to have more belief in yourself, which allows you to have bigger dreams, find greater mentors, take greater actions, greater celebrations, more belief in yourself. And it becomes a beautiful, perpetual cycle. So those are the six steps of the book. And it is a workbook. And I don't know if you realize, but one of the things I love to do as a thank you to your audience for listening and as a thank you for you inviting me on. You know, I wrote the book in 2017, or that's when it was published. And for any of your listeners that are listening to this, I would love for them to be able to have the digital copy of Success Left a Clue as our gift to them for you having me on your podcast. Oh, great. And 
And it's a workbook, remember. So they, I want them to use it. I don't want mm-hmm. them to just read it. I want them to use it. And if they just go to Robert Realpel, my name, robertrealpel.com, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-O-P-E-L.com, they can download that um, digital copy and start using it right away and watch how it changes their life. I'm definitely going to use that myself. You know, I really liked what you said, especially step five. You said, you know, believe in yourself. And that kind of goes back to what you were talking about with how you like to read and watch autobiographies and biographies of people. Because I think especially with, and you've probably seen how technology's really changed in the last, you know, 15 years and, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's changed everything from business to, you know, personal life. And it can be kind of overwhelming for especially people growing up and even people younger than me growing up with technology, how overwhelming it can be to see the final product of someone successful and not see their journey. And I find it very comforting to see their journey because it's like, oh, they struggled too. They're not they didn't just wake up right. one day and they're famous, they're they're successful, they're Elon Musk, you know, like it didn't just yeah. happen day one. Well, it's, it's that 20-year overnight success, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and, and a good example of that is, and you would have been, uh, if you're 22 now, you were around 12 years old. Do you remember Gangnam Style yeah. when it hit big on yeah. YouTube? Now, if you, and I encourage you, if you haven't done it already, I want you to be the archaeologist and I want you to go back and I want you to dig into Sai's life. Mm-hmm. And I want you to notice what his journey was to get that, what people call one hit wonder. You know, he'll never have a song as successful. Well, A, he never has to. But what people don't realize is he actually changed the internet with one song. Did you know that? No, you? I didn't. Would you like to learn how? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> So um, when you look at his journey, he actually was sent to the U.S. to go to school. His parents want him to be the normal thing Asian families want, doctor, lawyer, something like that with letters behind your name, right? Mm-hmm. And, and look, so many people put such an emphasis on, and I see this, I go to some countries to train, and the people introduce themselves, oh, I'm doctor, such and such, PhD, MBA, blah, 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 and it's, it's all about the letters behind their name. Now, I barely graduated grade 12. <laughs> and so I first I was intimidated by that. And I started noticing the importance of having the letters behind your name, especially one that was common is everybody seemed to have an MBA. And MBA, remind me what MBA stands for. Masters of Business Administration. Just, yeah. 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 And I decided, you know what, I better educate myself. I better go and get an MBA. Mm-hmm. So I put my focus on getting an MBA. And I did. I now have an MBA behind my name. But Mine doesn't stand for Masters of Business Administration. My MBA stands for Massive Bank Account. <laughs> That's the kind of MBA I like to have, yeah. right? Yeah. But especially educated people, they think that it's all about the education, about where they're at, what they've learned. And, and so when you look at, so here he is, Sai goes to the U.S. to become a doctor of learning, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's not his passion. He wants to be an entertainer, so he drops out of school. His parents get upset. We're not going to pay for your school. They yank him back to Korea. And he has the courage. Now, listen, especially young people, have the courage to follow your path. No matter what other people are telling you, have the courage to follow your path. 
And he decided to become an entertainer. And over the next 12 years, he started to get somewhat recognition and somewhat being known in Korea. He gets married. He has twin um, daughters. And he starts coming up with this concept of a song called Gangs. And it's so such a funny song between the mix of Korean and, and English. And all I remember is, whoa, 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 Gangs. <laughs> and hey, sexy lady. <laughs> but he, when he was creating the song, he knew he wanted to do some kind of dance for a video with it. And with the little dance where he does with his hands, it's called the horse. And it's like riding a horse. Well, he went through 50, five, zero different animals. Could we call it a giraffe? Could we call it an elephant? What would it look like? And before they came up with the horse, right? Now, he does Gangnam Style, and it hits, and it goes viral, as you know. And all of a sudden, this song, just the original official video, not even all the offshoots, hits 100 million views on YouTube. Hits 200 million views on YouTube. Which was even bigger back then, a bigger deal. Right. Yeah. But get this. YouTube starts freaking out. They're freaking out because, and I don't know how much you know about computer programming. I don't know a lot. But I know there's this algorithm that is a big number. It's 1 billion, 200 some odd million, blah, 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 all the way down. And most big companies use this algorithm in their programming. Mm -hmm. So did YouTube. And the reason they were freaking out is because he was getting close to 1 billion views. He was the first video to get 1 billion views on YouTube in history, okay? And they knew if he hit 1 billion, 200 some odd million, whatever this algorithm was, the moment his videos got that many views, he would crash all of YouTube. <laughs> so because of one silly little song, they had to recode and update all of their software to handle his one video. And wow. because of him breaking that barrier, also now, I think in the top 10 last time I checked, there was over 10 songs that have done over 3 billion views or 10 videos that have done over 3 billion. He's not even number one anymore. One of the top ones was from Fast and the Furious when Paul, um, the actor, died. Mm -hmm. And it's the exit song. Love that song. Mm -hmm. Another one in the top one or two, Baby. <laughs> it's crazy. But it started with Sai. And yet, what do people see? Gang of Sai. One hit one. See, and he made so much money from that song. He'll never have to work another day in his life if he doesn't want. Yeah. But he's still following his passion. See, and that's that's why you want to dig in to people's past. Because then you also get to avoid some of the learned moments. Mm -hmm. What came and knocked him upside the head that didn't work? What just about got him to stop? What just about took him up? Um, Steve Jobs. He gets removed from his own company, mm -hmm. the board of directors. And he could have taken that and went and crumbled and went, no. But he went on to change four other industries before coming back to Apple, which had changed the industry of phones and computers. See, so dive in and watch. And again, it doesn't matter how old you are. Follow your path. Follow your passion. And shine like only you can shine and watch what you can accomplish. Some for some people will be big things, others it'll be smaller things. And guess what? Whatever it is for you, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. As long, as long as you're playing full on to your potential. And I don't do that as pressure, but I'm going to say it like this. I will be the first to admit 
if it was left up to me, I would be miserable in a job right now. But one of the gifts my wife gives me and I give her is we refuse to let each other play smaller than we are. Even if it means having to give us a kick in the ass, each other kick in the ass sometimes Mm -hmm. and saying, step up. Because with my programming as a um, younger person, it was no, find a job, stay in that job, whether you like it or not. And that's where I'd still be. I might have a miserable life, but I'd be secure. Yeah. And so have surround yourself with amazing people. I call them growth-minded people, not like-minded. Because like-minded means if you're a complainer, you've surrounded yourself with complainers. You're all like-minded. Mm-hmm. Growth-minded is a person who's going to be willing to have those tough conversations sometimes with you that may be needed. I hope that's making sense. No, no, that makes perfect sense. And so you've gone through a lot to where you are now. And now you said you've coached close to like half a million people, right? Students. Um, I'm assuming probably a lot of them are probably 20s and 30s. Um, maybe Anywhere more. from 10-year-old to 93 is oh, my, wow. average, my audience size. Yeah. How, what so is the ages. average age generally do you see? Um, I would say 20s to um, mid-40s. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And so with people, you know, close closer to my age, uh, maybe even 30s and 40s, what do you see that's very common with those age ranges, right? Do you see in 20s there's more self-doubt or or lack of patience? Like what do you see in each of these age groups that um, when you're coaching them? Combination of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, younger ages will end up trying to um, overshadow their insecurities by being um, overcompensating and and becoming arrogant or egotistical, right? And sometimes it takes being schooled and learned (laughs) to look. And and everybody has ego. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that later if you want. But here's the thing is even me, um, I was overliving my passion and it took me getting burnt out and going through two back surgeries to really help me understand what was important in life. Because there's nothing more humbling than being laid up in bed where you can't do anything for over six weeks. You can't even get out of bed and having to have a, have people taking care of every need because you can't move. Mm-hmm. That humbles someone very, very quickly. I definitely got learned in mm-hmm. that before my first back surgery. And it taught me a lot of things of what was important and what wasn't. And, you know, so it, it's... For whatever age, I don't like to put people in, well, this age range, this age range. In all my students, 10 to 92, I see a lot of commonalities. The same kind of crap going on in their head, fears, doubts, worries. And it's not that one, something set to this age, but this age group has something different. No, we all have the same things and we are all the same. The question becomes, what are you willing to do about it? And I've in every age group, there's people that are open to coaching and making adjustments and there's people that's not, but it's our society that then tries to um, pigeonhole everybody. Oh, you're a millennial. And because you're a millennial, this and this and this and this, oh, you're a baby boomer because of baby boomers. You know, they, no, mm-hmm. we're, I, I love, do you know who, um, do you know who FW the clerk is? No, I don't think so. 
he was the president of South Africa that actually set Mandela free. Mm-hmm. And I was hosting an event in 2009 where he was one of the special guests. We had him. We had the Dalai Lama. We had Sir Richard Branson. We had Stephen Covey Sr. We had like 18 of the greatest thought leaders in the world. Yeah. And when he was on stage and he was talking about his journey, and, and at the end he did a question and answer period. And a gentleman stood up and he said, Mr. DeClerc, I am I'm stressed out. And he says, why? He says, I need your advice. He said, I'm watching the younger generation. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid for the future of our world. I'm afraid for what's going to happen because they just don't seem motivated. They just don't, you know, how do we fix that? And his answer absolutely blew me away. He said, look, when I was young, my parents were afraid about my generation. They were afraid (laughs) that the world wasn't going to be able to last. He said, and I think we did pretty good. He said, so just trust that they're going to do well. See, that's what it comes down to. We may look at someone else's way of doing things and go, that's wrong. Who are we to judge? Mm-hmm. We're, we, we go on our own journey. Focus on that. Focus on your journey. Don't worry about other people's journeys. And have faith that, you know what? There's going to be ups and downs. That's life. There's always ups and downs. It's what do you do with your life? Where do you put your focus? If you see that something that's not working, do you choose to help make it better? Or do you choose to just complain about it? Mm-hmm. It's your choice. <clears throat> When you were going through this process of becoming financially free and then, you know, financially wealthy by, you know, removing debt and now you have surplus, was there times where you just had to say, we just have to trust the process where you had self-doubt and you just had to go? Because these type of changes are what I've read, understood, and even practiced some on my own is powerful, but it takes patience and it takes time. So were there moments when you were like, man, like, I don't see a change. I don't think this is doing anything. But, you know, a lot of people, mentors, people are telling me, like, keep with it. And you just blindly, you just, you know, just take faith and you just trusted it. No, that (laughs) never happened in my life. And you hit it right on the head with that one, Shiva, is um, I, I have a formula that I say I call three, two, one, rich. And it was actually going to be the original title of my book, one of the original titles of my first book. And what that is, is have three coaches in your life. On a consistent basis, always have at least three coaches. It, you might have a success coach, a health coach, maybe a, um, a relationship coach, whatever. Three coaches, people that can then guide you, call you on stuff help direct you, okay? Have at least two mentors in your life. Now, the difference between a coach and a mentor, a coach is they're going to ask questions, what do you really want? How do you want to do it? Let's do this together. A mentor is someone who's accomplished what you want, and they're there to just say, do this, do this, do this. If you want to get where I'm at, do this, do this, do this. When I mentor trainers, because that's my passion, is I don't sit there and try to coddle them. I say, if you want to get to the level I'm at, this is the steps you need to do. So your next step is this. Don't get back a hold of me until you've actually done it mm-hmm. because I don't have the time to, you know, oh, it's okay. Come on. No. I, or I, I could make the time, but I choose not to. I feel I get more value by actually being that mentor. So I have three coaches, have at least two mentors. Be part of at least one mastermind. And for those of you that don't know, your listeners that don't know what a mastermind is, 
you know, Napoleon Hill coined the phrase mastermind group in his, a book that he wrote in 1925, but it was not until he wrote Think and Grow Rich that he expounded on what a mastermind group is. In school, we're taught that one plus one equals what, Shivam? Two. Exactly. And, but a mastermind, one plus one equals 11. See, when you take your mindset and combine it with one or more other people to solve problems, you get different perspectives. And so as an example, next week, on Tuesday and Thursday, I'm running a two-day mastermind with 200 people from all over the world, where I'm going to educate them, teach them what a mastermind is, how to do it. And then I'm going to use the breakout rooms on Facebook to put them in groups of five, to put one person at a time in the hot seat. Here's a problem I have that I haven't been able to overcome or I could use the problem. And then the other four are there to uh, mastermind. And the cool thing is, when you mastermind, you get people from all walks of life. Because you, if you try to surround yourself with people who know what you know, then you're going to get some of the same answers of what you've been knowing. Mm -hmm. So by bringing from other perspectives, you may say, well, I've been struggling with this. And someone from a totally different arena might go, well, have you ever tried that? No, didn't even know about that. What is it? <laughs> Tell me more. And that's where the power of the mastering of the minds comes together. And so three coaches, two mentors, be part of at least one mastermind. And if you do that, you're going to be rich. Now, let me give you a clarification, though, because I'm not when I'm talking wealth, I'm talking rich. I'm not just talking money. See, we are in my belief is we're holistic beings. Which means it's not just about the financial. You want to work on the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical and the financial. You work on all five areas because the area you don't put any energy into, that's the area that's going to sabotage the rest of your life and take you down. So it's about having um, keeping and working on all five of those. Very true. Like pillars. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So often a problem I see for, for me personally is finding, particularly finding a mentor, right? And maybe that might be because I kind of got into this whole personal development, self-growth stuff around the time of COVID. So I've kind of been isolated from finding people, right? Talking to people, going out, social gatherings and whatnot. But what do, do you see? Is this a problem other people have too with who do I get in contact with? How do I find yeah. the people that have the same interests or been through what I've been through? How do you find people to be your mentor and how do you contact them and, you know, approach Well, them? number one, number one, quit overthinking it. See, you're trying to solve that problem and know all the answers before you take the first step. Mm -hmm. And so repeat after me, Google is my friend. <laughs> Google is my friend. Yeah. So whatever it is you want to learn about Google, say yeah. Google that term and see what pops up. COVID or no COVID. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you mentors there. If they have a book, then get the book and read the book. If they have a training, get on their training, find a way to do it and, and be creative. Uh, and again, this biographies, read biographies, because that will give you amazing mentorship. Mm -hmm. See, and what I'm going to encourage in this space to some people, when it comes to coaches and mentors, you better be willing to pay for that. Because people go, well, I can't afford to have a mentor. I can't have, afford to have a coach. You can afford to put some time into things. You can afford to find a way to get creative that if there's a mentor you really want to work with, 
you create a way to create the money to pay for it. The, and I love how Les Brown says it. The more invested you are, the more invested you will be. See, mm-hmm. and I've done trainings all over the world where people got to come in for free, gifted in. And some of them take the information and utilize it. But most, oh, well, I didn't put any skin in the game. If I use it, I use it. If I don't, I don't. And there's strategies by allowing people to come for no cost and that. Absolutely. But I want to make sure that people are invested. So when someone wants to work with me one-on-one, my time is valuable. And it took me years, Shiva, to own that. Mm-hmm. Because until I did, no one else would. Someone go, oh, Robert, I want to be mentored by you. You've traveled all over the world. You've done over $100 million in sales from the stage. You know, you're, you're a master of what you do. How much does it cost to mentor with you? And I'd be like, 20 grand? <laughs> and if you spend 20 grand, you'll get this and this and this and this. And, I'd, and, and they'd be like, okay, I'll think about it. But yet if someone goes, okay, I need to, um, I'm ready to be mentored. And I say, okay, 25 grand up front, no refund. And you do the work I ask you to do, or else we don't talk until you have. And the moment I owned it, people were like, great, how do I send the money? And in mm. my mind, I'm going, what the, did you say? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and it's not out of arrogance. you got to have confidence, not arrogance for it. So when it comes to finding a mentor, Google. Mm-hmm. Google and just say, who has done this? What systems? Google probably tell you kind of the systems they've learned. Mm-hmm. Then use the same system. And the reason, again, I want you to watch and listen biographies, you'll learn more from the mistakes they made, so you know what to avoid, than necessarily what worked well for them. Mm-hmm. You know, three questions I'm always asking in myself and when I'm with a team doing stuff is what worked? We make a checklist. What didn't work? We make a checklist. And what can we do different? And it's not about looking at what worked and we're, and we're like, <laughs> we celebrate it. Yeah. But we celebrate it like, okay, great. Nice job, guys. This worked. Then we put the focus on what didn't work and not with emotional attachment. It's not like you screwed up here. You screwed. It's just like, okay, this didn't work. This didn't work. This didn't work. Great. So what are we going to do different? And now our strategy comes up to how we can make adjustments so we don't have those same what didn't work mistakes. And that's mm-hmm. why I, I say that, you know, I love the saying, there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. Yeah. The only time you fail is when you quit. And I love what Robert Kiyosaki, you know, author of Rich Dad Poor Dad says. He says, there's plenty of time to quit. You can always quit. So quit later. Do it later. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that was Keep the first book. Step. That was the first book that got me into all this. <laughs> yeah, it was a good book. Yeah, it is. And, and Sharon Lecter, you know, who was his co-writer um, on that book. In 2012, the Napoleon Hill Foundation had a book that had been in their vault for 70 years, 70 years. Napoleon Hill wrote it two years after Thinking Will Grow Rich in 1939. But because it was so controversial, they feared his family would be persecuted over it. They chose not to release it. And they waited until he had passed, his wife had passed, that, you know, his, they just, they were in fear because it was, it's a powerful book. In 2012, the Napoleon Hill Foundation went to Sharon Lecter and said, it's time to release this book. Would you update it for today and put any thoughts that you have in? And it's called Outwitting the Devil. And I tell you, you read that book, it'll blow your mind. Because to me, it's more pertinent for today than it even was back in 1939. 
Wow. And it's a powerful, powerful book. I love Sharon Lecter. I love the way she, you know, I love Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. Know him well. Spent many times on stage together. Had a lot of conversations. But really, the power behind think, um, Rich Dad Poor Dad was Sharon Lecter's really. And not a lot of people know that. I I have to read that book. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And it is. It so is. so from you know working at Domino's with debt to all the successes and right. knowledge <laughs> and help that you've c- contributed to. I mean, I, this was just a great talk, and I just wanted to say thank you, Robert, for being on this show, and I hope the audience gained a few things. I know I have. And my pleasure. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Anytime.